You know, the Bible is simple enough for a child to understand, and yet it's deep enough that a scholar could spend his entire career on one little book of the Bible. I, I, know, I know a lady whose doctorate is on the, the little small letters of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and, and she's got her, her whole educational career invested in those three little books. And she can tell you all kinds of amazing things about those three books that you wouldn't think. But you know, if you just take 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and read them through, you will be blessed and you'll learn wonderful things. The, the subject we're talking about tonight, quality time, is one of those subjects that is so rich and deep that we could study a lot of different aspects of it. We could approach it from every angle and, and we wouldn't exhaust it if we spent a whole month on it. And yet tonight we're going to blaze right over it and I think you'll find it simple enough to understand. We don't, we don't have to dig into deep theology in order to make this make sense. There is a common um, issue I don't think that's the right word. I'm not using the right word here, but, but a, a, maybe a cultural narrative would be a good way of putting it. In our society today, uh, there is a mindset that says, I don't have an identity, I create an identity. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's like this. As I become a, a teenager and then an adult, I'm exploring the options. Not just what I'm going to do with life or who I'm going to marry. That used to be the things that we were paying attention to. Now it's like who I am. I mean, my very sexuality is a question mark. Gender is a question mark, right? So it's not just where I'm going or who I'm going to spend my life with, but it's who I am. My very personhood is a big question mark in the, 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 the narrative of our culture today. D does that make sense? Do you know where I'm going with that? Roots, where do we come from? Is, it's something that everybody wants to know in some way. And uh, if you were uh, ever involved with uh, this TV series, ever watched it, Roots is an amazing story. Uh, a guy named Alex Haley uh, wrote a novel about it. Um, and it's his story, it's his family. And they go back into the 1700s and they follow uh, Chicken George and Kunta Kinte and others who were abducted and taken as slaves to the United States. And it follows the path of these, um, of these slaves and that whole family line all the way up to Alex Haley. And then there's another series that goes on from there and, and more to modern times. Where we come from, it matters, doesn't it? Does it, does it influence our identity, who we see ourselves as? I mean, um, I was just uh, saw on YouTube today, some people are responding to Selena. I might be saying that wrong. Serena? I think it's Serena. She's a, a, a Mexican-American born in Texas, Corpus Christi, Texas. And uh, she died, uh, she was killed as a young woman some 20 years ago or so, but there's Mexican-American young ladies who are trying to find their identity. Who, are, who am I? And, and they find themselves straddled between these two cultures of America and, and Mexico, and, and they found Serena to be really uh, helpful in, in their processing their identity. Identity makes, it, it means something. There, there's a, a new thing you can do. Have you done the DNA test? where you pay a hundred bucks, you send it in. Ancestry.com has one. And, and if you send it in, they'll even tell you some people that you're related to. It's kind of fun. But uh, the one guy, he decided this is, uh, I think he's in Kent? No, Linwood, uh, just north of Seattle. And he sent in his DNA test and it came back and he was 4%, I'm going to get this right, sub-Saharan African. Even though he appeared to be Caucasian and he could not at all identify any uh, discrimination based on race, still he applied for, was denied, and then sued for minority business status. <laughs> because, because your roots matter, right? They matter to us. I, I know they matter to us, but uh, it's also important that they matter to God. Where we come from is really important. And I think it influences our identity and our understanding of, of who we should be and how we should act and what we should do. 
in the Bible, Genesis 1.1 says this, in the beginning, God created. That very statement, it, it puts uh, a light, shines a light all the way down through history and helps us to understand where we come from. The very origin is God's hand. When you get back down to the book of Revelation, you find uh, some statements about identity. Revelation 13 gives us uh, one contrast and Revelation 14 the other. Revelation 13, 4, and then verse 8 says, So they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worship the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This issue of worship, it's, it's a central theme in the end of time. And, and our identity, it really makes a big difference. The next, uh, the next passage in Revelation 14 shows us the contrast. Not just worship the created, the beast, but now it's worship the creator. Revelation 14, 6. We've read this a few times. I think every night so far we've come back to this very verse. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made. Worship Him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of waters. This concept of creatorship and created, it, it impacts how we live our lives. Are we going to worship the Creator, or are we going to worship a fellow created being? In what the Bible calls the final gospel message, Modern humanity is called to worship the Creator. It's a message for the whole world. It's a message that's particularly relevant before the end of time, before Jesus' second coming. And, and I just, I think it would be fair to say that society has ignored this identity, and they have gone an entirely different direction. Do you remember back in the day, maybe uh, you weren't around at this time, but in the 1830s, anybody from the 1830s? No, Okay. In the 1830s, the HMS Beagle took a, a gentleman, a famous gentleman. Does anybody know who, what his name is? Charles Darwin. The HMS Beagle took Charles Darwin um, on, uh, from Great Britain to the Galapagos Islands. Now, what did he find there? He found some species that, that had a lot of variation inside that species. And he made some assumptions. And, and these are... are uh, assumptions that other people made before him, but he was the one that really made it popular. The idea that mankind descended from uh, some uh, other species of animals um, many, many thousands and maybe millions of years before. Charles Darwin, he moved the society away from a creator god, and he moved it towards accidental existence. If you follow Charles Darwin's ideas, there is no creator God, no, no call to worship the creator, no um, law that's given by the creator. Everything is just, uh, you know, live and let live. And, uh, and, and maybe, if you really want to go to the extreme, survival of the fittest. And uh, so competition is a good thing in that mindset, I suppose. But in Revelation 14, there's this call, worship the creator. Worship the God who made everything. And it's not just a call um, to one group of people. It's a call for all time, but specifically, it's a call to those at the end of time. And I think it's a, a call that's made because in this end of time period that we're living in, our society has rejected the Creator God. Why do we need to look back at the Creator God? Why do we need to be told to worship the Creator God except that we've forgotten? We've, we've put our focus on something else, and we've ignored God. Revelation's focus on worship is at the center of everything that this gospel is about. This intricate world, just to look at this idea of creation for a minute, this intricate world that we can look down on and we see all these details from the biggest things to the smallest things, God created it all in how many days? Six days. He created in six days. Let's just look at them real quick. On the first day, God spoke and said, let there be light. And uh, the Bible says, 
and there was light. And that's kind of how it goes every day. Day two, day three, God said something and things happened. Things were made, things were separated, things were altered, and it, and it was just by the word of his mouth. And then, on day six, God says, not to the earth, but, but uh, among himself, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, they say to each other, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. And this is the, the real indication of where our roots are. We are God's children, created in his image, in his likeness, to be like him. Not, not that we're God, we can't, we're, we're not self-existent, God created us, but, but to be in his image, as much as your children are like you, but totally different. I know that, my kids, they, they kind of look like me, and they kind of act like me, but I, I tell them to do things, and my hand, when I tell it to do something, it does it. My children, I tell them to do something, and they stare at me. And then they do their own thing, and then eventually they might do what I have asked them to do. Um, maybe I'm the only one that has that challenge as a parent, but God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and, and then the next day, he doesn't make anything. Just a, a verse or two before that, though. Psalm 33, 6 and, and 9, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, all the host of them by the breath of his mouth, for he spoke, it was done, he commanded, it stood fast. And then, and then this is what happens next. He doesn't speak. He doesn't make, he doesn't create, he, he does something entirely different on day seven. On the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from his work, which he had done. I, I didn't say it, and I should go back to, to mention it, because it's, it's significant. God did not speak men into existence. He did not speak Adam or Eve into existence. What did he do? He formed them with his hands. We are not just the product of God's speaking. We're the product of God's intricate, detailed, hands-on, masterpiece, masterful work. That's an identity. That's, that's our roots to go back to. Uh, not, none of this um, accidental existence, purposeless life, and floating identity. I, I don't want that in my life. I like the idea that there's a foundation to the, my reason for existence. But on, then on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from his work, which he had done. God didn't rest because he was tired. He paused to enjoy this world. He paused to celebrate. Now, maybe celebration isn't the right word, because when we think of celebration, we think of maybe some negative things sometimes. And, and this is the holy God. So when, when God celebrates, it is... It is a wonderful, beautiful, glorious thing. He, he rests, and then it says in uh, Genesis 2-3, God blessed the seventh day. He sanctified it. That word sanctified, if you want to just add a, a word, that, a phrase that makes sense, because sanctified isn't something we use in English very often, just take sanctified out and set it to the side and, and put it in its place, and God set it apart. God set it apart. It's, sanctified means that this is special. There, there's another word we use for this. It's called holy. Holy and sanctified are kind of the same area. So holy means special for a specific use. Sanctified means to make holy or to set apart for a special use. So it's kind of the verb here. So he, he makes the Sabbath special. He sets it aside for something unique because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. So God creates this, the, the earth in six days. He rests on the, the seventh. And, and it's like this rest is something special. It's not just that he did something different, but he made this day as a memorial. You know what a memorial is? Um, there there are uh, things that you set up to remember things by. Um, this past week, Pastor Jeff told that story of the Israelites going through the Jordan River and they took all these rocks and they set it up and, they, and, and uh, God said, whenever you walk by this pile of rocks and your children ask, what's that for? 
then you can point to it and you can say that is the evidence that God led us through the Jordan. That's a memorial. And that's, that's what he's done with the Sabbath. He's made this special seventh day of creation a memorial of all that perfected creation that he's just completed. God blessed the, day, the Sabbath day. He sanctified it. He set it aside as a reminder of what he's capable of doing. And then, and then he does something special. He gives it to us. He gives it to Adam and Eve. And it's interesting, the, first, the very first day of Adam and Eve's existence, that first full day, what did they do? They rested. They hung out with God, right? You, you think about um, what Adam and Eve are supposed to do. They're, they're supposed to tend the earth. But God creates them. It's the last thing he does. It's the, in fact, he, it says that he forms them, and then the evening and the morning were the sixth day. That's, that's what it, it says. So there's the end of the day, we kind of think. Adam and Eve are created, and then right then, they, they enter into this rest time with God. There's a lot of theology there, but we'll move on. God blessed the Sabbath day. He sanctified it. He rested on it. And, uh, and you know, when we think about evolution and this thing that Darwin suggested, it's really funny that it doesn't matter if you're atheist or if you're Christian or if you're Jewish or if you're Buddhist or Hindu or, or, or whatever your background might be, the very fact that we have a seven-day cycle and we mark it off one day after the other, the end of each week, everybody, everybody says God created. They might not recognize it, but there is nothing in all of the celestial bodies that would make this seven-day cycle make any sense. If you look at the, the process of all, the rest of our calendar, a year is 365 and a quarter days. Is that right? 365 and a quarter days. And that's the time it takes for the earth to go around the sun. The month is around 30 days-ish. And, and that's based on the cycle of the moon going around the earth. And the day is 24 hours and a little bit. And, and it's because the, the earth rotates around its axis in about that time, right? Everything about how we count time is related to our, our celestial bodies, the sun, the moon, the, the earth, etc. But there's no seven-day cycle anywhere that we can point to, except that we look back and we see that God created in, in seven days. And so we have this cycle. Now, <clears throat> there's some other interesting things about that. Um, but at Mount Sinai, God wrote these Ten Commandments in stone. He didn't write them in dust that it would just vanish away. He wrote it on stone, something that would be permanent and, and stick around. And then he says about the, the fourth commandment, remember, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. I've heard some people say that this is uh, a, a powerful example of God's equality. He tells people that have a, a slave mindset that you got to give your, your servants a break. They can't work on the Sabbath either. In fact, you got to give your animals a break. <laughs> your animals have, have worth and value. And uh, so there's some fun stuff in, in this whole um, commandment. But this idea, the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Now this, some people think that the Sabbath in Exodus 20 is a commandment that God gave to the Jews. But did God give the Sabbath to the Jews or did he give it to all mankind? To all mankind. Jesus, in fact, he says when he's being criticized for not keeping some Pharisaic law that, that was not in the Bible, just to be clear. It was not there in the Bible. They made it up. And, uh, and so his disciples were threshing some grain, and on the Sabbath, well, really, they just took it in their hands and were taking the, the shells off to eat it raw. Uh, and, and the Pharisees were complaining to Jesus about them breaking the Sabbath. And, and Jesus responds to them and says, the Sabbath was made for man, yeah, not, not, not to be a problem for us. It was a gift. It was a beautiful gift that God was giving us, not a burdensome thing. 
In fact, He gave it to man, He says. The Sabbath was made for man, mankind, not the Sabbath was made for Jews, the Sabbath was made for man. Adam and Eve weren't Jews. In fact, Adam and Eve were as much a Jew as I am, and I don't think I'm anything close to a Jew, but I am a descendant of Adam and Eve. And so I'm, as, I'm about as close as, as to, to Jews as Adam and Eve were. Um, and, and about 2,000 years had to go by before we found the first Jew. The Sabbath had been kept all along. Abraham kept the law um, according to the Bible. And so God says to these Jews, remember, this isn't a, for the first time ever, I'm going to tell you a new law. No, this is remember, because this has been around for a long time. In six days the Lord made, it says, the heavens and the earth. So we're, the, the law is reminding us this is a memorial of creation. God designed this. He says, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. God designed this as a memorial for creation. He rested. And then God speaks to his prophet, Ezekiel 20, verse 12. I also gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between them and me that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. I am the Lord that makes them holy is the, the phrase here. Not only is the Sabbath sanctified, but God is saying He sanctifies us. And so the Sabbath takes on these two meanings. First, I am the God who created, and second, I am the God who can recreate. I can make you holy. It's a beautiful thought when you think about it, because He gave the Sabbath before there was ever sin, but then he, he gave the Sabbath to some people who hadn't ever worked yet. He started with rest. And isn't that what salvation's about? We don't go to God with all of our work and say, look, God, I've checked all the boxes. I've done really well. Can you give me the prize of heaven, please? That's not how it works. No, we come to, with all our weakness, with nothing to offer, with, well, the Bible says our righteousness is like putting on filthy rags. We come to God with the best we have, and it's worthless. And he says, all right, now rest, because Salvation's on me. It's a gift, just like the Sabbath is. The Sabbath reminds us where we came from and of our new birth as well. Luke 4.16 says, So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was. I want to talk a little bit about this transition because we, we look at the Old Testament, and, and we often think, oh, that's the Old Testament stuff. That doesn't apply because Jesus came and he, he did away with some stuff. He changed some stuff. Uh, but I want to look at Jesus and then his apostles and see what they did, and we'll see a little bit about the Sabbath and, and what the Bible says about how to relate to it. But here it says Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, that means he did it regularly, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Jesus, it seems like if anybody would have told us there's a change here, Jesus would have been the one that would have done that. In Luke 23, 52 to 53, it says, this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Jesus has just died on the cross. And um, the, um, I just forgot his name, Nicodemus, uh, he went to, to get the body of Jesus and he wrapped it um, he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and then in verse uh, 53 it says, and laid it in the tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever lain before. That day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew near. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. So Jesus died on a certain day, and then the following day was the Sabbath, and if we look in Luke 24, verse 1, just the, the next verse on, it says, Now the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. So he's died on, on one day. He's raised on uh, a couple days later. And right in between is the Sabbath. So just to identify as we look at what Jesus did, and interesting, interestingly, Jesus kept the Sabbath even in death. He rested. He, he gave his life for us, and then he rested. So, if uh, Good Friday was his death, 
And every, every year we celebrate this Easter Sunday, right? And so that was his resurrection. Right in between is the Sabbath. What day is the Sabbath? Saturday is the Sabbath. Okay. So that's according to Jesus' experience. Now, if you were to look at dictionary.com and uh, merriamwebster.com, because anybody have a dictionary in their house? Wow, you guys are great. I don't. Um, I, just, I just look at lots of dictionaries online. Um, good. Dictionaries are good. Well, anyway, those two uh, dictionaries online tell you that Sunday is the first day of the week. That's according to the dictionary. And if you look at calendars, um, you'll find that a lot of calendars begin with uh, Sunday and end with Saturday as the last day of the week. Although some calendars are kind of business-oriented. They start with Monday, but uh, kind of generally they do. Uh, interestingly as well, Saturday around the world is, in different languages, is it's kind of got this heritage of the Sabbath kind of built in. The language itself is Sabbath. So, for instance, in, um, in Spanish, it's sabado. In Russian, subota. In Italian, sabato. In Polish, sobota. In Arabic, al-sabd. I think I'm saying some of those right. But you get the idea. It's pretty obvious that they're connected to that Hebrew word um, for Sabbath. Some people wonder, has time been lost and we've kind of, you know, missed a day or two here? And How do we know that our Saturday is actually the Sabbath? That's an interesting question. And I think if you just look back to the days of Jesus, you'll find um, some of your answers. But um, look in science, because they're the ones that kind of keep track of stuff. And, and we can be pretty confident that from the days of the Babylonians, when we really were figuring a lot of stuff out about the stars and whatnot, till our day today, we really haven't lost a day. And in order to lose a day, this is what would have to happen. Everybody in all of the world would have to go to sleep on a Tuesday night and wake up on a Thursday morning and then call Thursday Wednesday. Is that very likely to have happened? No. Now, we kind of care about time. For some reason, we care about time, and we keep track of it. Even those guys that are, like, lost on islands will, like, mark it off on, on some rock. Isn't that how they do it? That's how you did it when you got lost on an island, right? No, I'm, I'm, at least in the movie I watched, they did that. But, but there's a, a sense of time is kind of inherent to who we are. We want to know, and when we lose time, it's disconcerting. If the whole world lost time, do you think we'd know about it? Yeah, we'd, we'd have it written down somewhere. Uh, there is one time that uh, there is uh, some time moved back around Hezekiah's time. It says that, that the, the clock moved back by, what was it, 15 minutes or something like that? And it, it, it was such a big deal that people came from over a thousand miles away to come and see what that was about because they heard that Hezekiah had asked God to move the time back. It was such a big deal, it's recorded in history. We don't have any such thing recorded that that would cause us to move an entire day. So Jesus, he was a Jew. Would it make sense for us to look and see what the Jews do today? If you look at the Jewish culture, just uh, wander over to a synagogue on a Tuesday and see if they're meeting there. You'll wait for a few days because it won't be till Saturday that they are, well, okay, Friday night because they begin um, with some special ceremonies on Friday night. And then on um, Saturday, they also have some other things going on there at the synagogue. The commandments, um, the Sabbath rather, according to the, the Ten Commandments, is Saturday. It's the seventh day of the week. And on that first Sabbath, several thousand years ago, God rested from all His work. Now, I'm, I'm interested in this idea of rest because I'm kind of a guy that goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. Do you ever have that experience where you just have so much to do that you never stop? Isn't it kind of a nice thing for God to say, stop, just pause? If the government were to add an extra holiday, mandatory holiday where you had to be paid and you had to not work, would you say thank you to the government? Right? It's kind of nice to have a, a mandatory holiday. But God's done us, like, I don't know, 52 better. He said, every week, take a vacation. Every week, have a day off where you 
where you don't worry about all the stuff in life. There's a lot that we could worry about. Uh, there's the house repairs. There's, you know, for me, I'm in a master's degree. There's schooling I could worry about. There's preparations for kids' stuff. Uh, I've got little ones, so all the time there's something to do for kids. There's cleaning the house. There's, uh, there, there's stuff at work. All, all kinds of stuff that I could be doing. And I guarantee you, I could fill every hour of every day. And God tells me, don't. He says, just don't do it. The Sabbath is a memorial of God's perfect creation. When you think about that, when, when God rested on the seventh day, had, uh, had creation been finished already? Yeah, it was done. He, he didn't have anything left to do. It was perfect. And in fact, every single day, he said, it's good. It's good. And, and then he says, and God looked at all that he had made and said, it is very good. It's done. It's complete. And so this Sabbath is a memorial of God's perfect creation, completed creation. Now, in contrast to the, the Adam and Eve, they were created on the sixth day. In fact, Revelation, it introduces this number. Can somebody tell me where six appears in Revelation? It doesn't have to be the chapter and verse. I'm just wondering what strikes your, your memory when you think of the, the number six. Six, 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 right? This repeated number. It's almost emphasized, um, just this significant emphasis on this number. And, and six, 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 in fact, it says, right after it says that phrase, six, 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 it says that it's the number of man. Some translations say a number of a man, that's fine, we could, we'll go into that later and we'll find some fun prophetic application to it. Um, but, but just look at that idea. Man was created on the sixth day and Revelation is happy saying that that's the number that applies to mankind. Now let's, let's just pretend that we were to worship God on the sixth day. Would that be honoring to God, the, the day of man? No, that would be honoring to man, wouldn't it? So let's just go back. The fifth day, would that honor God, having not completed everything? Maybe that's the number of, I mean, five, the number of animals. I made that up, but, you know, we'd basically be, wor be, be worshiping God in honor of creating animals. Okay, that's nice. Go back to the first day now. What's he made on the first day? Light, that's all. Light and darkness. He separated it. He made the light, separated it from darkness, and that, that's all he did. Is that completed, perfect creation very good? No. No, it's not, it's not done yet. And so God, he, he sets a, a memorial, not from partial, incomplete creation, but from completed creation. Any day but the seventh day just wouldn't be the right thing. It wouldn't match what God's design was. And so he invites us to take the sanctified, the holy Sabbath day and spend time with him. Acts 17, 2, just to, to go on with Jesus' example and now the disciples' example, Paul, as his custom was, he seems to have followed Jesus, right? He went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures. This is years after Jesus' resurrection and ascension to heaven. This is years after the church had been started. And, and he's going in and he's establishing new church communities. And, and he starts with this reasoning with them on the Sabbath day. Well, you might say, well, that was because he was reaching the Jews, which is kind of true, but Paul was really the evangelist to the Gentiles. And uh, right afterwards, it says, and on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Even when there's no synagogue, Paul is keeping the Sabbath. And then in Acts 13, 42, when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. It seems like this would be a really good time for Paul to say, you know what, that, that Sabbath thing doesn't apply anymore. Um, let's let's uh, do something different. But he doesn't. He works with them and continues. And on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God, according to Acts 13, 44. More than 50 times the Sabbath is mentioned in the New Testament. And never is there any mention of a change. God sets it up at creation as a memorial for him and, and for us to remember that he created. I think it, it would be interesting if all of the world recognized the Sabbath. 
Do you think there would be any evolution in our world today if we truly kept the Sabbath? No, because we'd be remembering the God who created. And so to change it doesn't make any sense, but even if it did make sense, we don't find any record of it. Nothing that would suggest that this day has been changed. Matthew 24, 19 through 20, Jesus even points 40 years into the future after his resurrection. And he says, but woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies on those day, in those days. And this is, by the way, the time of the destruction of Jerusalem, which happened in 70 AD. So Jesus is, is talking right now in about, what, 31 AD? So we're talking about 39 years after Jesus says this. It says, and pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. Why would Jesus care about the Sabbath if it was going to be done away with? Forty years from now, it would have been some other day. So he would have said, never mind, it doesn't matter. The assumption of those who say that the Sabbath was done away with is that the law is done away with. We talked about that last night. Is there any indication that God would do away with the law that, that relates to loving God with all your heart and loving your neighbor as yourself? Was there any reason for God to do away with that? Did he nail, thou shalt not steal to the cross? And, and, and was it a shadow pointing towards those things? No. Now, we, we find that the only shadows are those things that symbolically pointed towards Christ and his death and his ministry on earth and in heaven. Those, were, those symbols were completed in Christ's ministry. But the Ten Commandments, no, those aren't symbols. Those are a transcript of God's character. They're the, the illustration of how we are to shine God's light in this world. If you were to explore this topic for very long, you'll, you'll probably come up to a question. One of them is, how should the Sabbath be kept? If it hasn't been done away with, if the, the apostles kept it, if Jesus kept it, um, if it's a memorial of creation, then how should I keep the Sabbath? That's a really good question. You should write it down on a piece of paper, and maybe tomorrow night I'll, I'll answer it before we get into our topic for tomorrow. I want to answer a different question that comes up, though, and that's when is the Sabbath? When does it start? When does it end? And, and the reason that's important is because we don't keep time the way that we used to keep time. Back in the day before we had electric lights, and before we had telegraph, telegraph lines that would uh, allow for interstate and international business to be made, and, and before we had uh, railways that would solidify time across the continent, we had the sun, right? It, the sun goes down, that's the end of the day. You really can't do much by candlelight. I mean, you could light a bunch of candles, but it gets pretty thick with smoke pretty quick, right? So when the sun goes down, that's the end of the day. When does the, the next day begin? If, if the day ends at sundown, when does the next day begin? At sundown. <laughs> you, you, you end one day, you begin the next. They just kind of keep rolling on. And, and so the, the beginning of the day, according to basically all of history until modern times, was the nighttime. And according to Genesis, we find that that's also the case. Genesis 1.5 says, So the evening and the morning, the nighttime and the daytime, were the first day. And then you can keep reading in verse 7 and verse 9 and verse... 13, and I, I forget all the ones, but it says, so the evening and the morning were the first, or evening and the morning were the second day, the evening and the morning were the third day, etc. In fact, in Isaiah 66, 22, we have uh, another picture of the Sabbath. Jesus established it at creation. He kept it during his life, even in his death. His apostles kept it. Jesus prophesied it would be kept um, some 40 years after his death. And then we get this, this picture of the new Jerusalem of, of uh, heaven. And it says, For as the new heavens and new earth which I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. The Sabbath is going to be kept in heaven. From creation to heaven, we have a continuous record of this memorial of God's creative acts. God intended the Sabbath to be this beautiful release valve, this opportunity for us to spend time with Him and to spend time with God's other children. Um, and, and even if you look at Isaiah 58, to be a blessing to the world, to be a relief valve for them, to give 
our clothes to the naked, our food to the hungry, open our homes to people in generous hospitality. The Sabbath was intended um, as a beautiful thing. Now, I know that Christians should honor God every day of the week. Does it make sense to be a Christian one day a week? No, no, no. So when we talk about the Sabbath and this special day, we're not talking about the days that, that, that we worship God solely, but it's a special day. Among all the days, we can worship God every day, but among all the days, the Sabbath is a special thing that God has given us. And God wants us to have, He wants us to have a special connection with Him. He wants us to have more of His presence. And when we have that opportunity to, to stop and to spend time with him, to open his word, to hang out with other Christians, we deepen our relationship with him. And that's, that's really important for God. He designed us for relationship. He designed us for love. Even in the garden, God came to Adam and Eve. It was consistent enough. Uh, apparently, that first Sabbath wasn't the only time because when they had sinned, shortly after that, it, the Bible says that God came walking in the garden looking for them. God wants to spend time with each of us. He wants to hang out with us and get to know us and deepen a relationship with us. And that, that time, that gift of time that he's given us is the perfect opportunity for us to deepen that relationship. I mentioned uh, this, that there's more to talk about when it comes to the, the systems, right? The, the solar system is, is um, got all these indicators of months and years and days, but what about the seven-day week? Well, there is something that indicates a seven-day pattern, and, and, and that's inside our internal clock. You've heard of the, the, um, the circadian rhythms? Um, there's a guy, Dr. Franz Halberg of the University of Minnesota. He says that humans operate on a seven-day cycle, and he calls it the circuseptin cycle. So apparently, there's biological connections to God's creation and his seven-day week. He, he designed us for that. Have you heard of the studies that, that they did with 10-day work weeks? They tried it in Europe for a while. Um, they, they thought that they'd get more efficiency. They don't. Efficiency plummets. People do better work in six days if they have a seventh day that's free. That's just how God designed us. It's part of who He is. I, I don't think that the fourth commandment is more important than all the others when I talk about this uh, specialness of the Sabbath, but I do think that it's just as important as all the other ten of the Ten Commandments. There's no diminishing of it. John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments. We start with that, that love for God. And it, and it makes sense if you love somebody to spend time with them, doesn't it? To take special time with them. What does that mean about grandma who never heard about the Sabbath? If this is God's intention, it's part of the law, grandma, she didn't know about the Sabbath. Is she lost because she didn't keep the Sabbath? No. No, there, there's a, a verse in the Bible it says, the times of ignorance God winked at. You know, he, he kind of shut his eyes to the things that were, we were unaware of. I think that's such a beautiful part of God's grace. He doesn't count sin towards us, uh, except that we understand it as sin. And, and so when we break the Sabbath, not realizing that, that he wants to spend time with us then, uh, he, he says... I love you still. I'll work with you where you're at. And, and, and I think that's, that's a really important aspect of his, of his mercy and His grace in our lives. But if, if you understand God's desire for a loving relationship with you, I think that as a Christian, it's an opportunity and even a command that we take time with God, that the seventh day is set apart as His Sabbath. And I think that we can, we can say not, oh no, we've got something else to do, Another thing to check off our list of, you know, legalistic activities. No, no. This is an opportunity to say, wow, that's amazing. Thank you, God, for such a wonderful gift. Is it going to be a challenge for some people? 
Some people, they, when, when the Bible says in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt do no work, then it kind of causes some trouble. And, and if you have a, a culture, a family culture, where Saturdays are a day that you play and do some stuff that's um, probably wouldn't find uh, evidence for doing that kind of thing in the Bible, um, then you, you might challenge your culture as well, not just your work, but your culture. And is that worth it? Is it worth it to say no to working on Sabbath and maybe even losing your job? Is it worth it to say no to family and maybe having to upset family culture a bit and change things around? Is that worth it? That's an interesting question. I think it, it all depends on your relationship with God. Is your desire for a deepening relationship with God um, so significant that you would say, Lord, I'm willing to trust you with my future? Is God's promises good enough for you to say, I'm willing to trust you with my future? There was a, a little lady, I imagine her hunched over, and, uh, and she, she had um, a, an empty belly and two little mites in her pocket. And she, she walked up, she's a widow, and she has no support and, and no money except for these two mites. And she, she puts it in the offering box there at the temple. And with those two mites, she gave God everything she had. We are not told what happens to that woman next. But, but the scene cuts to Jesus and his disciples that are looking on, and what Jesus says is so significant. He says, everyone will know about this woman. Until I come again, people are going to know about what this woman did. He didn't talk about the, the guys who gave the big bucks and, and dropped bags of coins in. He pointed to the one woman who gave everything for God. Do you think God provided for her? In Matthew 5, Jesus says, if he provides clothing and housing for birds, do you think he cares about you and me? Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear or where you're going to live. Not even the birds worry about that. Trust God with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Sometimes uh, there's, there's some of us in the room that have, have uh, recognized this gift before, but maybe not realized what we have, how precious it is. There was a farmer, uh, not a farmer, a, uh, an auto mechanic uh, working at the Fiat plant in Turin, Italy in 1975, and on his way home one day, he stopped by this little auction place uh, that the police were running. Whenever they got stolen stuff, they, they would auction it off, and, uh, and he'd stop by every once in a while to see what he might find. Well, he was looking through the stuff, and he found these, these two paintings here. And he thought they were kind of nice, thought they'd fit nicely where his, uh, his kitchen table was on the wall behind it. And so he, he bid on it, and somebody else bid on it, and he bid on it again, and somebody else bid on it. He ended up paying more than he thought he, he would, more than he really wanted to. But he won the bid, and he took them home, hung them there nicely, and, and, and that was all he thought of it. Two nice little pictures moving on. Forty years later, he's retired by now, and, uh, well, let's just say that uh, he was leafing through a book one day, and it was a book about art, and it happened to have a picture of one of his paintings in that book. And he, he, he looked at it, and it, it was by a French painter named Pierre Bonnard. Does that name sound familiar to you? Uh, it's not a familiar name to me either, but then there is another one by Paul Gauguin. Again, I have no idea who these people are. I'm not an artist, and I'm not in that world, but, but apparently these guys are big deals. Gauguin? Okay, glad that you corrected that. Apparently, these had been stolen from somebody. Insurance money had been paid. They had died. There's no heirs. And so the paintings, well, they, they belonged to him and they were worth $65 million. Do you think he was uh, fine with his over, overpaying at the auction some years before? I think he probably was fine with that, yeah. We have such a precious gift in the Sabbath. We don't even realize what we have. Even if you've been keeping the Sabbath, you probably have more to explore in its beauty and it's, and it's uh, 
grace. God, he, he wishes such a close relationship with us. And tonight, I'd like you to consider, I'd like you to consider this gift that God's given and this blessing that he's offering. He wants better things for you than you can even imagine. He wants goodness in your life. And sometimes that goodness initially starts with a sacrifice on our part because we have to say, okay, God, I'll give you a seventh of my time. That seems like a big deal. If you, if you have a pie with, with seven pieces and you take one out, there's a big chunk missing, don't you think? And if you do that in your, in your week, you might think, oh, no, I'll never get everything done. But I think it's a lot like anything else. When we give something to God, like that widow and her two mites, God does something big with it. And he makes what's remaining so much more valuable than it could have ever been if we were doing it on our own, going our own way, planning our own plans. Shall we pray that God takes our hearts, that God gives us this blessing? Let's pray, and then, and then we'll, we'll do our, our table talk time. Father in heaven, it is so cool that you created everything. It's, it makes so much more sense than all this evolution stuff that uh, our world is focused on today. And it's so cool that you set up this reminder, this, this temple of time where we could spend with you and, and with your children. We could get to know you and dedicate some time to deepening our walk with you. I, it's amazing that you've given us this gift, and yet it's sometimes difficult in our selfishness and our, our, our busyness and our agendas. It's difficult to say yes to you. And so, Lord, we just want to say right now, uh, maybe there's some people here that are excited about this idea of taking time with you. Um, we want to we give you that time. And maybe there's some people here that are still unsure about all, all of this and are exploring it. I pray that you'd give them your spirit and a clear understanding of your word so they could make a good decision. And, and maybe there's some that feel convicted but are struggling with the big change that will happen in their family or their work. And I just pray that you would, that you would give them confidence to step out in faith like those Israelites did in walking across the Jordan River. They stepped in and you parted the waters. And I pray that you do that for them. Lord, bless us with your spiritual blessings, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.